Well, good evening. How's everyone doing? So last night, uh, or yesterday, I went to Knott's Berry Farm uh, with my family and with my parents. After that, we headed back to my parents' house, and we sat down and were watching Cars uh, with my son, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I saw on the TV my dad had changed to ESPN, and I saw that the Yankees had lost. And so I started to think to myself, well, I better better prepare a sermon for tomorrow night because Pastor Mike's probably not going to be up for church tomorrow night. He has to recover. So if we could all be praying for Pastor Mike uh, for some spiritual healing for the loss of the Yankees, that would be much appreciated, I'm sure. So uh, how many are ready to hear from the Word of God tonight? I like that. Everyone raises their hands. That's good. Now, before we jump in, I want to tell a little story. Uh, In 1973, at Princeton University, a couple of guys did a study uh, that they entitled From Jerusalem to Jericho. And the idea was they wanted to see uh, seminary students uh, how well they applied what they believed and what they preached to their life. And so what they did was they set up this whole thing where they got a bunch of seminary students and they gathered them together And they told them, we want you to prepare a sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm sure we all know the story of the the Good Samaritan. Uh, There's a guy traveling along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's overtaken by bandits, left for dead. Uh, It it says, a religious man's walking down the street. He sees the guy, pretends that he didn't uh, didn't see him, goes to the other side of the road, kind of ignores him. A couple hours later, another religious guy is coming down the road, sees the guy, pretends he didn't see him, keeps going. And then finally, a Samaritan comes down, sees the man, puts him up on his own donkey, takes him to the inn, pays all of his expenses, and helps nurse him back to health. And so these Princeton researchers took all these seminary students and said, we want you to prepare a sermon on this parable. And then what we want you to do is, before you preach it, you're going to have a meeting with us in this building, on this side of the campus. You're going to have a quick interview, tell us, you know, what you're preaching about, and then we're going to send you to the auditorium on the opposite side of campus where you're going to preach this sermon. What the researchers did was they made sure that the interview would run late so that the, uh, the preachers would be running late and would be in a, a big hurry to get to the auditorium. And then they hired an actor to lie along the road on the path between where the interview was and the auditorium was And they told him to pretend that he was injured and to lie on the ground moaning and see how many people who had just prepared a sermon about helping people who had been hurt and were lying on the ground moaning, how many of them would stop and help the man. And I I believe, I don't have the exact numbers, but I believe about 90% of the students ignored the man who was lying on the ground because they were in such a rush to get to the auditorium and preach the sermon about helping people in need. In fact, I think that some of the people even stepped over the man while he was lying on the ground because they were in such a hurry. Now, the reason I share this with you is because I want to make sure that when we come to church that it's good to hear the word. It's good to take really good notes and write it down in your notebooks and and learn these things and understand these things. But if we don't take the things that we learn at church and apply them to our lives, if we don't take this teaching on healing and give it to people that are in need of healing. If we don't take this gospel that we have been given and preach it to other people, then what's the point of us even coming here? What's the point of us even writing these things down in our notebooks? There's a reason that every sermon just about that Jesus preached began or ended with some sort of 
version of go and do likewise. We're not just to be hearers of the word, we're to be doers of the word. And so everything you learn here from Pastor Mike, everything you learn when you read your Bibles, everything you learn when you listen to your podcasts, it's important that we take those truths and apply them to our lives and give them to other people in need. Amen? Cool. With that, why don't we go to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, I really liked what, what Pastor Mike had to preach this morning, talking about the importance of our words and how we use our words. And so what I would like to do is, is offer a bit of an extension of what Pastor Mike was talking about this morning, talking about how we can use our words to help other people and how we can use our words to receive healing. We're in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, I'm sure this is a passage of scripture that every one of us is familiar with. We're going to start in verse 19. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now you read that, go Therefore, and I think it's, it's Scott Stewart that I heard this from. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should, uh, how does he say it? You should, you should see what it's there for. Whenever you see a therefore, you should figure out what the therefore is there for. In other words, when you read therefore, when Jesus says that, what it's saying is that what I'm about to say depends on what I just said. And so we need to understand the context of what Jesus is saying. So let's go back real quick and read verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Now, Pastor Mike has talked about this before. If you're reading in the King James Bible, I believe it uses the word power there. All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Uh, And there's a couple different Greek words that are used for power. One of them is dunamis. It's where we get the word uh, dynamite, and it means like an explosive power that we contain, that we have. That's not the word that's used here. This word is the Greek word exousia, which means, uh, it means to have authority, to exercise power, to have the right to hold this power. In other words, Jesus isn't just saying, I have power. He's saying, I have earned the right to have this power. I have earned the right to exercise this power, and now I'm giving you the right and the authority to use this power. It's almost if, if you consider... Uh, a bank robber running into a bank and he has a gun. He has dunamis. He has power, but he doesn't necessarily have the right to use that power. But if a cop shows up, the cop not only has the dunamis, he not only has the power, but he has the exousia. He has the authority to have that power. And in the same way, this is telling us that Jesus has the power, he has the right to have the power, and he is extending that authority to every single one of us. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, I'm going to ask you a a quick question. What is the very first thing that Jesus commands his disciples to do? What what does he tell us to do? Now, i got to tell you, it was a trick question. I, I knew you were going to say go. Uh, my, my in-laws didn't answer because they've heard this before, so they were, they were silent because they know, they know the secret answer. Uh, and again, Pastor Mike's talked about this b- before, but sometimes when the translators were translating the Bible from Greek into English, they tried to do us some favors by slightly modifying some things to make things clearer. And sometimes it's helpful, but in other times it, it gives us the wrong impression. This word go 
uh, isn't an active verb. It's a passive verb. In fact, if you read this in uh, Young's literal translation, which unsurprisingly is a literal translation of the Greek into the English, it doesn't say go therefore. It says therefore going make disciples. One way to translate this would be as you go make disciples. Jesus isn't commanding us to go someplace special. He's commanding us to make disciples. You know, I think a lot of people in the American church have this idea that the way that you make disciples is you go out on Tuesdays from 6.30 to 8.30, and during that allotted time frame, you are allowed to make disciples. And there's nothing wrong with going out and witnessing. I think it's important to do that. But Jesus never called us to go witnessing. He called us to be witnesses. And you can witness more than just during evangelism time on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. You can evangelize more than just on Sunday mornings. The Bible tells us that we are supposed to be witnesses at all times to all people. And right here, Jesus is telling us that as we go, we are to make disciples. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it. I mean, who here lives in the church? Anyone? Anyone live here? No? Okay, so chances are that when I'm done preaching, you're going to go home. Or you're going to go get dinner. And tomorrow when you wake up, you're going to go to work, or you're going to go to school, or you're going to go to the bank. You're going to go someplace. And what Jesus is saying is, wherever you go, if you're going home, make disciples. If you're going to school, make disciples. If you're going to work, make disciples. If you're going to church... Make disciples. It doesn't matter where you go, because every one of us is going someplace. So instead, our commission is to go, or as we go, to make disciples. So let's look at this again. All authority, the right to exercise this heavenly power on the earth, has been given to me. Therefore, as you go, how do we exercise that authority? He doesn't tell us, as you go, therefore, Heal the sick. He doesn't say, as you go, uh, cast out demons. He doesn't say, as you go, uh, pray for people that have needs. He says, as you go, make disciples. I think if you're reading it in the King James, it says, teach all of the nations. He says, therefore, as you go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, if you go to Mark chapter 16, it has a a similar ending, a similar commission at the end. I'll read this for you real quick. I'm sure that you've read it before. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world. Again, that word go is the passive verb. He's saying, as you go, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So in a way, he is saying, as you go, heal the sick. As you go, raise the dead. As you go, help people that are in need. But he says that there's a specific way you're supposed to do that. 
You do that by making disciples. You do that by teaching all nations. You do that by preaching the gospel to every living creature. I think a lot of people uh, are, are anxious to do the miracles that Jesus did or to receive the miracles uh, that Jesus performed when he was here on the earth. But we like to skip a couple steps when we do it. What we read in Matthew chapter 28 and in Mark chapter 16 is that these miracles, these healings, deliverance, all these things follow after the preaching of God's word. And it's good for us to come to church on a Sunday night and and hear Pastor Mike preach the word. And certainly signs will follow after Pastor Mike's preaching. But if signs for you follow after Pastor Mike's preaching, how much more will signs follow after your own preaching in your own lives? The right to exercise this heavenly power upon the earth has been given to me. Therefore, I commission you that as you go, make disciples. Tonight's healing school. And, uh, you know, I, when I taught in, I think it was February, I, I said that, that we were going to be doing salvation school and, and talking about holistic salvation. And then when I taught uh, on Easter, we did uh, victory school for healing school where we talked about victory in the cross and victory in the resurrection. So tonight we are going to do healing school for healing school, but I want to focus on the school of healing school. You know, I, I went to college to become an engineer, and when I would go to class, my goal wasn't to find people in my class who knew or in my classes who knew how to engineer so that they could do engineering for me. The goal of going to engineering school was so that I could learn to do the engineering. And I think it's good when we come to healing school, you know, there's people who have needs, who need healing, and it's good to come to healing school when you need healing. But it's also good to come to healing school before you need healing so that you don't need healing. It's also good to come to healing school so that you can learn about healing, so that you can give healing to people that aren't here. You know, our, our, our method of healing the sick shouldn't be inviting people to healing school. We should learn what the Bible says about healing. We should learn to trust in Christ, and we should learn to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, not lay hands on the sick so that we can invite them to church so that someone else could lay hands on them. So let's, uh, let's take advantage of healing school in all three aspects. If we need healing, let's come to healing school and learn healing from the Word of God so that we can apply that to our lives. If we're completely healthy... Let's come to healing school so we can learn about healing, so that we can walk in divine health all of our days. And if we're perfectly healthy, let's come to healing school so that we can learn what the Bible says about healing, so that we can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. How does that sound? That sounds good, right? You know, I think it's interesting. When you read through the Gospels, and I don't know. I've, I've read the Gospels a number of times. I can't think of any time in the Gospels when Jesus prayed for healing for any of his disciples. Did any of his disciples ever come to him and say, we need healing? Or were they so busy healing other people that they had progressed past the point of needing to be prayed for for healing? That they learned 
how to apply these truths to their lives. They didn't need to go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I need you to do a miracle for me. They knew how to receive the miracle on their own. There's a, a, a verse, it's, it's Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Well, if you think about it, I read that one day and I thought, well, what about my burdens? Well, then I realized, oh, Jesus already took care of those. What's it say in 1 Peter chapter 5? Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus has taken care of my burdens already. And it's my duty, according to the law of Christ, for me to help other people with their burdens. There's a, uh, what's the verse? Uh, Genesis chapter 12. Why don't we go to Genesis chapter 12? There's something in here that, that I think a lot of times we, we pass over. I think it was when Scott Stewart was out here, I think he was talking about the blessing of Abraham. And then when Terry Mize was out here, he was talking about the blessing of Abraham. And, and we talked about Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where it says that we are, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so you see in the New Testament that we are Abraham's seed. We have received the promise, the blessing of Abraham. Well, what is that blessing? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him that curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we can take that and we can say, we're the seed of Abraham, we are heirs according to the promise, therefore we are blessed and God's going to make our names great. Well, that's fantastic. Good for us. God's watching out for number one, right? But there's more to that. There's more to the blessing. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. A lot of people come to church to be blessed. How often do we come to church so that we can be blessings? I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I mean, Pastor Mike talks about this every single Sunday morning when he prays for the offering. He, he prays and he says... Uh, we thank you that, you that you give to us exceedingly abundantly, not so that we could have more for ourselves, but so we could do more for the kingdom of God. And you see that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that there's not room enough to receive it. Think about that. God opening up windows in heaven and pouring out blessings that are just getting all over the place. And everyone else is blessed because of how blessed you are. That's what we read about when we read about Abraham's children and his grandchildren. What's it say about Jacob? That Jacob, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but it says something to the effect of Jacob uh, prospered exceedingly and continued to prosper until he prospered. 
It uses the word prospered like six times in the verse, that he kept prospering, he kept prospering, he kept prospering, and then it talks about how all the people that did business with him prospered as a result. The blessing of Abraham upon every single one of us is supposed to bless other people. Even uh, when Pastor Mike talks about the Holy Spirit, when, in John chapter 4, when it talks about a well of life, the Holy Spirit being like a well of life flowing into you. And he says, well, yes, that's the Holy Spirit that you receive when you get saved. But in John chapter 7, verse 37, it talks about an even greater blessing of the Holy Spirit. Rivers of living water flowing out of you, getting everyone else soaking wet. The blessing of Abraham, the blessing of the Lord, isn't meant just to bless you. It's meant to bless every single person that you come in contact with. And I think it's important for us to, to, to view the blessing and to view our life as Christians as a, a means of everyone around us getting blessed. In fact, I think that a lot of times, well, when you read through the New Testament, you see that they looked at things a bit differently than the modern church does. You know, we talk a lot about having a personal relationship with God, and we, we have this mindset of, like, it's, it's me and Jesus versus the world, right? And there's, there's nothing wrong with having a personal relationship with God, uh, obviously. We should all have personal relationships with God. But God isn't just interested in having a relationship with you. He's interested in having a relationship with us. He's interested in having a relationship with his church. That's why we don't just watch Pastor Mike on TV and never come to church. We come to church so that we could be a part of a congregation. We worship as a congregation so that we can offer our praises corporately towards God. We pray for one another so that we can bless other people because we have been blessed. Think about the Lord's Prayer, or or as, as Pastor Mike says, what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus' disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray, and he taught them how to pray for each other. In fact, when you look for it, you see it pop up all over the place. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. By, by the way, that word you, grace to you, it's plural. Grace to all of you is what he's saying. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy And without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood 
uh, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He's constantly talking about us as a group of people. He's not saying, guess what? You individually have been healed. You have been blessed. I am so great. Look what God has done for me, and I am the greatest thing in the whole wide world. He's saying, all of us are in this together. Pray one for another. Forgive us our sins. God, our Father. The disciples looked at the church differently than we look at the church. You know, you hear people nowadays, they'll, they'll say things like, well, I'm the church. You know, like, everywhere I go, I'm the church. No, you're, you're not. <laughs> like, we're the church. We're all the church. We're all in this together. You know, and not just us that are here on Sunday night, but every member of this church is a part of the church. And the church down the street is a part of the church. And the, the church in Greece with all the candles that Beth probably visited on her trip, they're a part of the church. We're all a part of the church. And yes, there might be certain people in our body of Christ who believe things slightly differently than we do or very different. I mean, we don't have candles. Uh, so, so there might be people that believe things very different, but, but that doesn't make us a part of a superior body. There's one body of Christ And as long as we're looking at this as us against the world or or me and Jesus against the world, we're missing out on a huge part of this Christian walk that we're supposed to be living. So what did Jesus do? Jesus was given all authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to provide deliverance for those in need. And he said... Therefore, as you go, make disciples. Discipleship, in other words, should be the primary means by which the authority and the miracles that Jesus talks about are distributed through the church. Now, Scott Stewart has talked about this a lot when he's come out and visited and talked about how often do we actually make disciples? How often are we the ones that are speaking healing truths to those that are in need? How often are we teaching other people all the things that Christ has taught us? There's a verse that that has become very important to me uh, since I had kids. Uh, Isaiah 50, why don't we go look at it real quick. Isaiah verse, or chapter 50, we're going to look at verse 4. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. Now that, that word learned is the Hebrew word for disciple. The Lord has given me the tongue of the disciple that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the disciple. So think about that for a second. He's, he's talking about being a disciple. And he tells us there's, there's two things 
that God does for disciples. He gives them an ear so that we can hear, but he also gives us a mouth so that we can speak. Discipleship isn't, well, I'm a disciple of Pastor Mike, or I'm a disciple of Jesus, or I'm a disciple of this person, so I'm going to spend my entire life receiving from them. Discipleship is, I'm receiving from someone so that I can speak to someone else. I, I, I tell this to the, to the youth whenever we talk about discipleship, but I tell them it's important to have people that are above you, that are teaching you, people that are, are more wise and have more experience, but it's also important for you to find people that you can teach, who you can disciple, who you can train. Because that's our commission, to make disciples who can go make disciples. And uh, I, I find, you know, it's, it's interesting that you read things in the Bible and, and you don't realize that, that God's a lot smarter than we are. You know, there was the song uh, that we sang uh, that, Jackie, that Jackie was leading us in worship. It's, uh, your ways are higher than our ways. It's from Isaiah 55, verses 7 through 9, I think. And, and he says, for your ways are not my ways, Neither are your thoughts my thoughts. Therefore, walk in my ways and think my thoughts. Sometimes you read something in the Bible and it may not make sense to you. You may not understand why God's saying it. But you should do it nonetheless because God said so. And then maybe later on you'll, you'll figure out why God's telling you to do it and it'll make a lot of sense. But right here with this, where, where being a disciple means making disciples. And you think, well, I might not be qualified to make disciples. But what I've discovered since I've, since I've had my son is that you don't really understand something until you can explain it to a three-year-old. You know, like we come to church and we get Pastor Mike's great teaching and, and we read the Bible and we're like, okay, wow, this is so cool. I'm reading this in the Bible. This is fantastic. And then, and then your son asks you a question. We were, we were driving home from Knott's Berry Farm yesterday and my son Jack, he's three and a half. Uh, yesterday was his three and a half birthday so he's exactly three and a half and he from the back seat he says daddy i want to punch the devil in the face and and shane and i are talking to him and we're like well you know you 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 can't actually punch him in the face the way that you the way that you get him the way that you hurt him is by speaking god's word like jesus did so you you say what the bible says and the devil goes oh you got me so we're trying to explain it to him and he goes but but why can't I just punch him, Daddy? And so, so Shane says, well, because he doesn't have a body. He, he's a spirit. And Jack goes, what does that mean? And so now it's like, okay, now we have to explain spirit, soul, body to a three-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, you know, already, like, uh, he, uh, around Halloween, he'll see skeletons, and he'll be like, ooh, skeletons, that's scary. And then I told him, it's not scary. You have a skeleton inside of you. And Shane's going, don't tell him that. It's going to freak him out. <laughs> but but so, so, so Jack already knows he has a skeleton inside of him. And now we have to explain to him that he's, that he's not a body. He's a spirit uh, who lives inside of a body. And so we're trying to explain it to him, and, and he's not getting it. And finally I say, Jack, like you have puppets at home, don't you? He says, yeah, I have puppets. And I said, so your hand goes inside the puppet, and your hand controls the puppet, and the puppet's just on the outside. And so I said, in the same way, you're a spirit, and you're inside of your body, and you tell your body what to do. And he, he looks at me, and he says, kind of like how we're in a car, 
and you tell the car what to do. And I'm like, hey, my, my son's going to be a theologian someday. But, but like, that was after a 30-minute conversation of trying to explain to the three-year-old, you know, what a spirit is and, and why you can't physically punch the devil and, and all these things. My, my point being that I, I have learned a lot more about the Bible and about God since I've had to explain it to a three-year-old. You know, there's a, there's a, 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 a man who serves in the youth group, and, and he said that, that he began to truly understand stories of the Bible when he had to, he had to read the children's Bible to his kids because it breaks it down simple, and then your kids ask questions, and then you explain it, but you have that back-and-forth conversation, and you start to have to explain things in new ways and look at things from different angles and figure out ways to communicate these things to someone else. So maybe God knew what he was talking about when he said that as disciples, we'll learn when we disciple other people and we teach other people. You can come to church and you can hear Pastor Mike's teaching on healing and you can read the Bible and you can read the miracles that Jesus did and the, and the healings he performed and the healings that his disciples performed and the Old Testament promises about healing. You can read all those things and you can physically assent to every single one of those things. But if a person walks up to you and says, hey, why do you believe in healing? And you go, I don't know. My church teaches on it, I guess. That's why. You don't understand what you've been reading. You don't understand what you've been hearing. Maybe the reason the disciples got to the point where they didn't need Jesus to pray for them to be healed was because they learned how to exercise these things out in the real world, learned how to apply these things, and learned how to get results. Now, it's good to come to church and to hear the Word of God preached, and it's good to read your Bible and and soak up what the Bible says about all these things. But it's better to give those things to other people. In fact, I think that that was Jesus' intention. That's why he talked so much about discipleship. And that's why before he left the earth, the very last thing he said to do was to go and teach other people the things that he had taught them. We need to be people that make disciples. I'm going to say that again, and then maybe someone can like whisper amen to the person next to them. We need to be people that make disciples. I like that. When I I teach the youth, I always always tell them, I'm going to give you five amens and a hallelujah, and you need to use all of them before the sermon's over. So so feel free. If I say something really good, like, you know, Jesus heals everyone, then you can say, and if I say something bad, you can just keep that to yourself. You don't don't need to vocalize. (laughs) You don't need to vocalize that. Uh, on a side note, you learn a lot about the Trinity when you have to explain it to a three-year-old as well. Explaining to my son, him going, I, I said, Jack, who's your savior? And he said, well, Jesus is. But Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit's my savior, Daddy. I'm like, that may not, maybe I, the Trinity, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for when you're a grown-up someday. <laughs> We need to be people who don't just hear the word preached, but who preach the word to others. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. 
Mark chapter 5. This is, uh, I believe that this is the story that, that, that Kenneth Hagin would always talk about. Mark chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood. So we're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to examine one thing. We're going to start in verse 24. Mark chapter 5, verse 24. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed after him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things for many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Here's my question for you. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, who told her about Jesus? You know, this woman comes to Jesus. Uh, she, she's had an issue of blood for, for, for 12 years. Basically, one day she started bleeding and she never stopped for 12 years. And she spent all of her money and went to all the doctors and none of them could, could help her at all. And so this woman would have been considered unclean and it wouldn't have been acceptable for her to be out socializing with all these people. So she, she took a big risk secretly pushing through a crowd to get to Jesus. She touches his garment and the Bible says that virtue, it's that word dunamis, virtue passed through him and he felt it and he found her and asked her what happened and she explained the whole thing and then he said to her in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So she comes to Jesus, uh, takes this big risk, receives the healing based on her own faith. But I like to think about the guy or the girl who told her about Jesus in the first place. Something caused her to hear. Who was it who, who went to this woman who was probably shut up in her house, probably never going outside, probably had lost hope? Who went and decided to visit her and tell her about this man named Jesus who could heal her? What did he believe? I mean, you, you can kind of figure out what his beliefs were, what his theology was based on the actions of the woman, I mean, the woman, she said to herself, if only I may touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. She didn't say, if only I can get him to pray for me, then his faith will heal me. She understood that it was her faith that was going to trigger the healing. She must have heard it about, she must have heard about it from this mystery person. She decided to risk everything to follow after Jesus. And a, and a public crowd to run up and to, to grab his clothes. What would have motivated her to take that risk? The mystery person that told her about Jesus must have believed that that would work. He must have believed it enough to convince her to leave her house, to break the law, to risk her life to go get something. This man or woman, whoever this person is, we don't know. He seemed to believe the right things about Jesus. And he was willing to communicate it to someone who was in need. If he were to get sick, I wonder if he would know how to receive his healing. I'm sure he would. He probably heard different stories about Jesus. He probably heard about the centurion servant, that the guy didn't even have to show up. Jesus just prayed for him from across the city and it worked. 
He must have had faith. Faith in healing, faith in salvation, faith to receive. He must have understood the principle of speaking to receive. Because that's what the woman did. But notice that while the woman spoke her words to receive healing for herself, this mystery person spoke his words to receive healing for another person. Pastor Mike this morning talked about using our words and the importance of using our words. Uh, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. In Proverbs 18, 21, Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, it says uh, that you shall have whatsoever you say. You read this throughout the Bible, and we often read these and think, okay, well, when we speak our words, we receive. But how often do we speak our words so that other people receive? How often are we willing to go to people who have needs, people who are, are too gross to leave the house, people that we probably don't want selfies with on Facebook? How often are we willing to risk and to use our words for the benefit of other people? How often are we not just concerned about being blessed, but being a blessing? How often are we concerned about rivers of living water pouring out of us and getting other people soaking wet? You know, like I said, there's nothing wrong with needing your burdens lifted. There's nothing wrong with casting your cares on Jesus. But Jesus didn't just die so that you could have your fantastic life. Jesus died so that your life can be made awesome, so that you can go and communicate that to other people, so that you could lead other people to him, so that you can bring healing to those who have need. Now, real quick, I don't want to go too much longer, but but in talking about discipleship and talking about speaking God's word to other people, to teaching other people what we have been taught, I think there's a number of concerns or doubts that some people might have. So I wanted to spell those real quick. I I wrote down three that I want to talk about. Number one, I am not qualified to disciple others. Or I am not qualified to speak to others. There's the story in in John chapter 4. One of my friends was talking to me about it on on Friday. Uh, The story in John chapter 4 is Jesus goes to a well because he's thirsty. And he meets the Samaritan woman. And, uh, and he has an interaction with her. They talk back and forth. He asks her for water. She kind of flirts with him. Uh, we, we read a lot of things about this woman. Uh, first of all, she was a Samaritan, which meant that she had the wrong religious beliefs. She also uh, was the wrong, she wasn't Jewish. She was uh, a different race. She also was a woman, and it wasn't acceptable for, for single women to talk to men, to single men. Also, we read that she had a bit of a sexual history having been with a bunch of guys and now living with some guy that wasn't her husband. So this woman had a bunch of things that were not going for her. Had a reputation in town, in fact. It says that she would come to the well to get water at the time when no one else would because none of the other women wanted to be seen with her. So this woman was kind of an outcast, had all these bad things going for her. She goes to this well to get some water. She has a five-minute conversation with Jesus And the very next thing we read is that she goes back to her town and she convinces the entire town to show up at church the next week and meet this guy named Jesus. Think about that. Who here has been at church for longer than five minutes? At the worst, you've been at church for 70 minutes in your entire life. So what's that? You are 
14 times more experienced than this woman was. And she got her entire town to show up at church and to meet Jesus. And it says that most of them believed on Jesus because of her testimony. In fact, at the beginning of the story, it calls her the Samaritan woman. But by the end of the story, we refer to her as the woman who testified. The woman who spoke her faith in Jesus to other people. If you've been a Christian for longer than five minutes, you're at least as qualified as this woman. And this woman got an entire town saved. Even if you don't know anything, like maybe the only thing you know is that God is good. Do you know that God is good is enough to get healed? If you're sick and you sit there and you go, hmm, well, God is good. And sickness is bad. So those two don't really mesh. And so, God, since you're good, can you heal me? What more do you need? We overcomplicate things. We make things so confusing like God is trying to withhold healing from us. That God is, is like, like, do you ever get the idea that God has built like a maze of scripture and you have to navigate it perfectly to receive? That's, that's not what God intends. God doesn't want healing to be hard, just like he doesn't want salvation to be hard. Literally, the formula for salvation in, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13 is believe it and say it out loud. I believe that Jesus is my Savior, and I said it out loud. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. Amen. That's as easy as salvation is, and the Bible says that receiving salvation is exactly the same as receiving from he- or receiving healing. In fact, it's the same exact word in the Bible. To receive salvation for your sins, same exact word, to receive salvation for your healing. Don't overcomplicate it. You don't need a master's degree in divine healing to receive. You just need to have faith. And you need to be willing to speak it out loud. So you may be thinking that you're not qualified. But you are. Number two, I have no one to disciple. Well, start with your kids. Like I said, I learn theology teaching my three-year-old what the Bible says. I read my Bible to him every morning. We pray every day. In fact, last week we were driving home, uh, we were on vacation, and we were heading back to church, and we're running late, so we're driving really fast. And whenever we come to church, when we're about two blocks away, I always say, Jack, what day is it? He goes, it's Sunday. And I say, where do we go on Sundays? We go to church. And what do we do when we go to church? We pray. And then I say, so why don't you pray for your friends, and I'll pray for Pastor Mike and Miss Beth. And that's what, every single Sunday, that's what we do. So we're rushing to church on Sunday, driving really fast, getting closer to church. And from the back seat, Jack goes, Daddy, what day is it? I said, oh, it's Sunday. He goes, and where do we go on Sundays, Daddy? We go to church. He goes, and what do we do when we go to church, Daddy? We pray. He goes, okay, so Daddy, I'm going to pray for Pastor Mike and Miss Beth, and you pray for my friends. And so he prayed for Pastor Mike and Miss Beth, and I prayed for Matthew and Landon and Logan and Kayla and, and Chase and Carson and all, and all the kids in the car. My, my point is, is that he learns from me. You shouldn't bank on your families learning their theology from Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike is a good resource, but Pastor Mike gets maybe two to three hours exposure with your family tops. You're with your family the other 165 hours of the week. And if you're not discipling them at home then it doesn't matter what Pastor Mike's saying up here from the pulpit because they're learning from you. 
There's a verse in Luke chapter 1. It's uh, Zechariah is talking and prophesying about his son, John the Baptist. And he quotes Malachi chapter 4, which is the very last chapter of the Old Testament. And the verse he quotes says that when I come or when the, when the Messiah comes, he will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. Part of the world being ready to receive Jesus is parents, specifically fathers, discipling their kids. Every one of us has someone we can disciple because someone's always watching. If you don't have kids, invite one of your friends out to lunch to talk things over with them. I I had a friend. He went to a different church, didn't even come to our church. And once a week, we'd go get coffee, and we would just talk about the Bible. And over the course of a year of this, you know, finally he decided that he wanted to come to our church because he thought that I knew something. And then he came here, and, and he, he came here, and after a couple of weeks he goes, you know, I used to think that you knew a lot of stuff, but then I came to your church, and you just know as much as everyone else there. Like, well, that's the point. And he's been coming for about a year, and now he knows a ton of stuff too. But it all started not because I was trying to convince him to come to my church so that he could listen to Pastor Mike. It's because I was willing to pay three bucks at Starbucks a week so that we could have a conversation about God. If every single person in this room was willing to do the same thing, you know, not even a matter of how much could we grow our church, how much could we grow God's family? How many people would be walking around Orange County understanding God's word on healing? How much healthier would our community be if we were all willing to disciple one person a year and teach them what we know? So you may not think you're qualified. That's baloney. You may not think that you uh, have anyone to disciple. That's not true. Number three, but I need healing for me. And And I understand the sentiment of that. I think that there's this mindset that if I'm sick, who am I to talk to other people about healing? Well, who says that you can't? Romans chapter four Verse 17 describes God as being, it says that God, what is it? God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. It doesn't say that he lies. It doesn't say that he makes things up. It's that he speaks a higher truth over things to change things. If you're at work and, and you have a runny nose or, or you have a cough or something or, or you have something more serious, people at your work are going to hear what you're saying. Are you speaking God's word over your situation? You know, I think that we we do this thing where if you know what the Bible says, we say that we're speaking the word, but really we're thinking the word. Does anyone ever do this? Like you get a runny nose, and in your head you know that the Bible says you have healing, and so you just believe really hard, but then you never actually say anything. Life and death aren't in the power of the thought. They're in the power of your words, the power of your tongue. Jesus didn't say... Uh, have, have faith in God, for I say unto you, whoever thinks to this mountain and thinks that it will be cast into the sea, he shall have whatsoever he thinks. He shall have whatsoever he says. Are you speaking things that are not as though they are? That doesn't mean that when you go to the doctor and your elbow hurts and he says, hey, how's your, how's your elbow feel? You don't lie to him and say, my elbow is perfect. It doesn't hurt at all. That's, that's lying. That's not what God did. What God did was he spoke his word over it. Someone says, how's your elbow feeling? You say, well, the Bible says this. The Bible says in 
Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, that he, he took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we were healed. It says in Psalm 107, verse 20, uh, what does it say in Psalm 107, verse 20? He sent his word and healed us and delivered us from our destructions. I know it when I'm not in the pulpit. You get to the pulpit, you forget things. He speaks a higher truth over your situation. Do we speak things that are not as though they are? Do other people in our lives know what things we're speaking? It's easy to think these things because no one knows what you're thinking. But once you start saying it out loud, people are going to hear. Think about Abraham. Abraham convinced his whole community to start calling him the father of many nations. He was 90 and had no kids. Can you imagine, like, he, he, goes, he goes to the country club and someone says, Hey, how's it, how's it going, Abram? He says, Oh, that's not my name anymore. Oh, what's your name? Father of a bunch of people. You're 90 and you have no kids. Oh, my name is father of a bunch of people. Okay, Abram, no, no, that's not my name. My name is father of a bunch of people. I mean, people probably thought that he was silly at first for saying stuff like that. But he was speaking what God had spoken over him. And pretty soon he convinced his whole community to start speaking the same thing. And then he ended up having a bunch of descendants, as many as the stars are in the sky, as many as the sands are on the seashore. How do we use our words? What do other people hear when we speak? Are we just coming to church to be blessed? Or are we coming to church so that we can bless others? Are we bearing one, another, bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ? Why don't we all stand up? We're going to pray in a sec. But for a couple of minutes, why don't we do this? And I, I apologize for, for going past seven. But I want us to do this. Rather than having me pray for everyone, I want everyone in this room to lift their voice and to speak God's word over themselves. Now, I, I know, and this, this happens when we're at youth group, we'll be, we'll be singing a worship song, and the band will be blasting really loud, and the drums will be loud, and all the kids will have their hands really high, and they'll be like singing like, Jesus, yeah, Jesus. And then it comes to the bridge where it gets really quiet, and then all of a sudden, all the arms go down, and everyone starts whispering, because now there's not music to cover up everyone's voices, and they get self-conscious, and they're afraid, to, they're afraid to talk loudly. We shouldn't be like that. We should be bold in what we have to say. And so if you're here, and you need anything, if you need healing, just speak healing over your body. Declare God's word. By your stripes I was healed. You sent your word and healed us of our diseases and delivered us from our destructions. Speak what God has spoken about healing. And if you don't know what God has spoken over healing, speak, I'm healed. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one for healing. He sent his word and healed us of our diseases and delivered us from our destructions. Speak that. If that's all you have, speak that. If you're here and, and, and you need an increase in your finances, declare God's word over yourself and over your family. If you need deliverance, speak God's word over your situation. 
And if you're here and everything's just peachy, if God has borne all your burdens already, if God has taken care of you and you don't have a single need in the entire world, pray for other people. Declare God's word over people in your life that you know are struggling. Now, I always think it's funny when, when people say that, like, they can't pray for a really long time because they're like, like, I, I try to pray for an hour, but after a couple minutes, I'm all done. And I, I ask them, I say, well, like, who'd you pray for? Well, I prayed for me, and then I ran out of things to pray. Like, you can pray for a ton of people. You, Beth was talking about it during, during prayer school. Like, we have, like, an entire government of people that desperately need our prayers. This room is filled with people that need your prayers. This world is filled with people that need your prayers. So if you don't need anything in your life, then just lift up your voice and pray for other people. Pray for our president. Pray for our congressmen. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your children's teachers. Pray for other people. Hallelujah, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that your word is always true. Just lift up your voices right now. We thank you that you sent your word and healed us of our diseases and delivered us from our destructions. We thank you that you, uh, that you took our sicknesses, you bore our infirmities, and by your stripes we were healed. We thank you that you provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus, that you open up windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon us that there's not room enough to receive that you give us knowledge of witty inventions, that you command blessings to overtake us, that everything we put our hands to will prosper. We thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, the Lord that delivers, the Lord that saves. We thank you for your, your wholeness and your wholeness and salvation, that we are delivered, that we are made whole, that we are rescued. We thank you that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that you are with us always. We thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees our needs and provides what we need. Lord, you see into our lives, you know what we're lacking, and you make a way where there is no way. You do impossible things. You do things that only you can do. Hallelujah. You are so good, God. You are so mighty. You are so holy. You are so perfect in all of your ways. There is nothing that is too hard for you. There's no sickness that you can't overcome, that you can't heal. There's no stronghold in our lives that you can't rescue us from. There is no sin that can hold us. You deliver us from everything. You break those chains of bondage and you give us new life. Oh, Lord, you are so good and we love you so much. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done in our lives. Thank you for everything that you continue to do. Thank you that you aren't just the God of healing, but you are the God of perfect health. You are the God of restoration. and The things that have been stolen from us, from the enemy, you restore. You restore. We thank you that we have life and we have it abundantly. That abundant life flows through our veins. You are so incredible, God. You are so incredible, God, and we put our faith in you. We put our trust in you because we know that you are faithful. You are faithful to your word and your word does not return to us void. Your word always works. There's nothing too hard for you, God. There is nothing too hard for you. 
there is nothing too hard for you. You do all things well, God. You do all things well. We thank you for complete restoration, complete healing, complete wholeness, complete peace. That in you, we are complete. You are so good, God. Hallelujah. Lord, well, I thank you for every person that is here tonight. I thank you that whatever needs they have, if, they, uh, if they're sick, I thank you that you are the God that heals. If they have lack, you are the God that provides. If they are held in bondage, you are the God that delivers. That you are with us always, even to the ends of the age. And I thank you that when we come to church, not only do we learn things for ourselves and get blessings for ourselves, but that you equip us to be a blessing to others. That you equip us to pour out blessings upon those that are in need. We pray for boldness for every person here, that they would not be ashamed of the gospel, but that they would be bold to speak out your word and that your holy servant Jesus would reach forth his hand to heal all those who are in need of healing, all those who are in need of salvation. We thank you that when your word is spoken, signs follow. The preaching of your word produces results. Our faith is in you and our faith is in your word. We thank you for all the testimonies. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of, the test- by the word of our testimony. We thank you that every one of us, more and more, We'll have more and more testimonies of your faithfulness and your goodness. You are so incredible, God, and we love you so much. You are so good. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us and for choosing us. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Cool. Well, thanks for coming. Uh, Pastor Mike will be back on Wednesday evening.